Ideas matter. Ideas matter. This is Dialogue. Hello and welcome to Dialogue. China's gross domestic product grew 5.2% year-on-year in 2023, hitting the government's around 5% target. Still, the world's second-largest economy is facing multiple headwinds in the early going of 2024. So how has China's economy started off the new year? What can we expect out of the Chinese economy in 2024? Joining me today are Hong Hao, Chief Economist of the Grow Investment Group, He Weiwen, Senior Fellow from the Center for China and Globalization, and Dr. William Lee, Chief Economist at the Milking Institute. Welcome to Dialogue. So Hong Hao, I will start with you. you know, for those who are not following the Chinese economic uh, so closely, I mean, how do you characterize uh, the current status of the world's second largest economy? Yeah, well, I think the uh, economy um, on the surface is trying to uh, recover, you know, from the uh, pandemic era of you know very slow growth. I think the economy is trying to find a bottom right now. Uh, I think this time around in this economic cycle, uh, the time is spending, you know, hovering around the bottom has been longer than usual. But I think last year, you know, 5.2% GDP growth is a reasonable number, you know, considering how much challenge that we uh, have have to confront uh, last year. So I would say that, you know, overall, it's a a good result. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, Mr. He, do you agree? So now we are seeing probably the economy has stabilized and it is is going to grow uh, probably even stronger than last year? Oh, yes, I quite agree with Dr. Hong. Uh, I think now China's economy is still in the process of slow recovery to the trend line. Because although we hit 5.2% GDP growth last year, it was on a low base of 3% growth in 2022. So the two-year average is was still 4.1%. It's, pretty, it's not back to trend line. We have to overcome a, dip, a number of difficulties the inadequate demand over excess capacity and uh, poor uh, weak anticipation and also troubles in the property market and also in the difficulties in export. So we have to overcome those difficulties before we can bring back our economy to the chain line. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, William, what about those, uh, basically, you know, Mr. Hu mentioned, you know, multiple the headwinds, you know, for the economy in 2024. What about the prospects of overcoming those challenges? Well, the policies are in place, and I think the policymakers have done a good job of trying to stimulate the economy. Uh, the headwinds that we're really worried about, at least from the Western perspective, is the private sector. Uh, much of the growth from last year came from fiscal stimulus of the government sector, and also it's on the supply side. Many of the reforms are aimed at making China more efficient and and bringing China closer and and beyond the frontiers. Uh, But the key for us in the West when we analyze China is whether domestic consumption is going to be able to overcome the the drag from the property sector and other job uncertainties that we we are witnessing right now. So I think all in all, policies are in place. I think uh, the the government is doing the best it can and probably can do a little bit more. Uh, But I think uh, overall, we're anticipating a better recovery and a better composition to the recovery, a stronger recovery. Mm, A better composition. Uh, Speak of this consumption uh, last year, uh, according to reports, it's uh, the consumption accounted for 82.5% of the total GDP. 
so Hong Ho, uh, are we expecting this figure to continue to be consolidated or are, do we have concerns about you know, whether there's a, you know, a lack of confidence, for example, for the growth of uh, consumption? Yeah, I think consumption has been rather resilient, you know, considering how much challenge that we're facing last year. But having said that, though, um, as you can see, you know, there's a quite a bit of consumption downgrade here, right? So even though the volume is up, you know, but the average uh, price per order is actually down. I think in in 2020, uh, 2024, you know, if uh, the uh, growth is still around five percent, or maybe not even that, you know, because next year in 24, uh, you know, we're, we're still facing multiple headwinds, and we have to overcome many challenges. And so, if income is not going like fast enough, then it would definitely affect uh, confidence, consumer confidence, and also uh, consumption patterns. So I think right now, you know, the base case for us really is that, you know, consumption is steady as she goes. You know, it may not be surprised on the upside, but then at the same time, it probably, you know, extend the trend that we've seen in 2023. Mm -hmm. uh, Mr. He, you know, what policies or, you know, uh, what are the, you know, incentives or policies to try to stabilize consumption or to encourage, uh, you know, consumers to spend in the new year? Oh, yes. I think... Um when we start the year 2024, there was a general optimistic mood among the different provinces and across the country. Because based on the 5.2% growth last year, and the provinces are ready to hit the same growth rate above 5% this year. Uh, it is good. Still, we have many challenges. We have to overcome those challenges before we can hit that goal. Mm -hmm. uh, speak of that, of course, you, know, you do see uh, sometimes, you know, mixed numbers or mixed uh, uh, even messages over there. Uh, William, you mentioned uh, earlier like this uh, private sector. Uh, we do have this manufacturing, uh, you know, uh, purchasing managers index or PMI from Taishin, uh, which is often used to measure this private sector. Uh, that was 50.8 in January. Uh, basically, you know, it is in the expansionary, uh, expansionary ter territory. That's, that's, of course, that's, that's, uh, that's good. Um, but at the same time, you have this, um, you know, sort of like a contrasting message here. The official purchasing managers index in the PMI rose to 49.2% in January from previously 49 uh, in December. So that's still a tick upward, but uh, it's lower than 50, you know, the separation of expansion or contraction. What do you make of these numbers? Well, one of the things I think we have to be very careful about is to read too much into little wiggles. I think the, the overall expansion that China's been used to is to have these numbers in the 60s and 70s, right? So, mm -hmm. so I think um, the space that ahead is really quite far to go. And yes, it's optimistic that it's not getting worse. But I think the policies that are in place now really have to focus on the demand side. Um, many of the policies that have been put in place, as I said earlier, is that really boost the supply side. And we already have China's known to have way too much capacity on that supply side. Now, it's good to get rid of some of the old capacity that's inefficient and replace it with better capacity. But in doing so, it also creates job insecurity for those who are working in those older processes. So, so the demand side really is the focus. And I think uh, the, the policies now have to focus much more on income stability and wealth stability. So wealth stability being primarily the property sector. So they, I think that's the new focus, I think, I hope for 2024 fiscal policy. Mm -hmm. uh, Mr. He, you know, some say the Taishin survey, you know, offered the hope that uh, external demand uh, may improve 
uh, with uh, new export orders increasing for the first time actually since June last year. Uh, in months, I would say. Um, of course, this increase is marginal, uh, just as uh, uh, William mentioned. It is uh, just a small uh, changes. Um, uh, so, you know, do you agree that you do see uh, probably can we be a little bit more optimistic? There's, you know, growing demand uh, from external markets. Uh, yes, uh, of course, this is encouraged that we have seen an initial signs of the, res of the rebound in export order and both and export performances in the final quarter of 2023. Still, it's too early to, see, to say that it is a definite upturn or it is only a temporary phenomenon. In the main, we still see very difficult situation facing the, our export sector because mm -hmm. if we judge the 2023 whole year performances, we can see a clear downward side in traditional labor-intensive sectors, and also in the clear downside in our export to, to the developed countries. So we have to work hard to bring it to the rebound before we can say that the export is going up. Indeed, you know, Chinese exports in 2023, you know, to major partners uh, like ASEAN, you know, that fell by 5%, you know, to the EU uh, fell by 10%. Uh, of, of course, you know, the export to Russia registered a strong growth of nearly uh, 47%. Um, you know, if you look at a sector by sector, uh, Hong Hao, you do see, you know, in some sectors, you do see strong growth, for example, EVs, uh, and also, uh, what do you call it, uh, uh, you know, for the Xin and Timo, uh, the directed consumers, you know, parcels, uh, you, you register like a 29, you know, 69% uh, growth. Is that something, you know, offers new hope for the Chinese uh, manufacturing sector? Yeah, well, I think we're seeing, you know, very strong growth in, in the sectors that you mentioned, you know, especially, you know, the Chinese um, uh, internet merchants uh, going overseas to export the Chinese business models uh, to many of the other overseas countries and, and become initially quite successful. And also EV is taking market share uh, in the U.S. and also in, uh, in, in, uh, in the uh, European uh, Union countries. Now the problem, you know, with that is, or the danger with that is that, you know, because you know you're taking market share and cutting other people's lunch, right? So it, it tends to invite uh, sort of a, a, a retaliation, a trade retaliation from from those countries. For example, in the U.S. already, the Biden government is stopping uh, government subsidy, you know, for uh, EVs with Chinese batteries, and I think uh, in the EU, you know, because um, the Chinese EV makers, uh, they are. Uh, taking market share from the traditional German luxury car uh, manufacturers, for example, BMW and Mercedes. And I wouldn't be surprised to see, you know, going into 2024, you know, there's, there will be some sort of trade sanction uh, against some of the EV brands that we're exporting. Uh, and also in Southeast Asia, you know, we're seeing Timu uh, and, and other internet platforms exporting uh, Chinese business models over there. Uh, you know, uh, the online stores are ticking huge business from the uh, offline uh, stores. So um, the Indonesian government sort of, you know, sanctioned uh, the uh, online presence of some of the uh, Chinese online uh, retailers as well. So, you know, it's it's good in a sense that, you know, the, the Chinese are exporting and also, you know, many of these uh, solar panels, uh, semiconductors and EVs are high value added goods. 
but many of these goods they are cheaper, you know, because they are receiving government subsidies, and so as a result, you know, they tend to invite sort of a trade uh, uh, retaliation from those countries that we're exporting to. So I think for now, um, it is supporting uh, the export business for China, but then at the same time, one has to be aware of the danger, mindful of the danger that you know it could somehow backfire uh, uh, somewhere down the line. Mm -hmm. uh, well, on that front, uh, William, you know, w w what can they do, you know, to reduce the risk of, uh, let's say, uh, you know, tariffs or investigation or retaliation, you know, from other markets, uh, for example, for the Chinese EVs? Well, the EV market is something where China really has uh, done superb uh, progress in engineering and tried to produce probably some of the best cars in the world. Uh, and, and in fact, I think one of the things that um, we should keep in mind is when, uh, as, as Hong Hao talked about retaliation, it's retaliation because the, the concern is that there's a job loss in the part of the EU. Uh, and also competition in terms of uh, uh, parts in the United States. One thing to do is to have investments, joint investments. I think one of the things that China hasn't exploited enough is the possibility of doing joint ventures with their partner countries and to be able to share the kind of production efficiencies that China's experiencing with production in other parts of the world, mainly putting uh, into those countries some of the more efficient factories that you now have in China. Mm, Chinese investment in the EU, for example. Uh, on the other major sector, Hong Hao, back to you here, of course, we see you know, restrictions being lifted, basically, or, you know, uh, uh, somehow now they are in the hands of the individual cities to make decisions uh, in terms of the property sector. Uh, you know, Guangzhou, Fuzhou, for example, southern Chinese cities, uh, they are lifting all the restrictions. Um, so other cities may follow. What is a prospector? You know, uh, what kind of a role it will play? Are we going to see in the prop sector, you know, it's returning to normal or this year it will perform better than last year? Yeah, I, I think I wouldn't be surprised to see other cities follow suit as well. I think major cities such as Shanghai gradually re uh, relaxing many of the curbs uh, uh, to buy properties. Uh, Guangzhou has relaxed, you know, uh, buying apartment uh, above 120 square meters. You know, anyone can buy it. Uh, Shuzhou completely relaxed all the curbs. So I wouldn't be surprised to see you know, other major cities follow suit. But having said that, I think all the re restrictions at this stage, all the restrictions should be removed. You know, in the sense that uh, in 2023, if you look at the total sales figure, right? So we, we, we saw that about um, 10, trillion, 10 to 11 trillion yuan worth of property, uh, which is like almost 50% of the peak uh, in, in 2021 when we sold 18 trillion yuan uh, worth of property. I think, you know, a sustainable level, uh, you know, at, at the current stage is probably annual sales of, of eight, 8 trillion yuan or, you know, around that. Then, you know, so even with a substantially less uh, sales last year we registered, we're still somehow above the sort of a sustainable level, right? So I think at this stage, you know, if you want to sti really stimulate housing demand uh, and also, you know, accelerate the urbanization process, it, it, it would pay to remove all the restrictions uh, for people to buy. Uh, uh, and also, you know, last year we've, we've uh, introduced a number of policies, you know, trying to, trying to st stimulate housing demand. For example, we cut the mortgage uh, rate uh, and also we lower the down payment ratio. And also, you know, we, we, we relax uh, the second and the third home uh, purchasing as well. But even so, you're seeing, you know, last year, the uh, top 100 
real estate developers, the sales is down 30%, right? So it's a, it's a, it's a very challenging situation right now. So I think, you know, we, we have to move quickly to stem the, uh, the downward pressure uh, to stimulate demand. And, 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 and by removing all the restrictions on, on house purchase, uh, I think it's one of the ways that I can see, you know, to, to help uh, sustain the demand. Mm-hmm. Uh, William, uh, do you agree? Of course, you know, from outside, there's a lot of uh, attention being paid to, for example, liquidation of Evergrande. Uh, but of course, now, you know, it's shifting quickly. Uh, people are talking about uh, individual cities lifting these, uh, these curbs. Uh, so do you agree probably the, the only solution, you know, to do it as quickly as possible, lifting all those restri- restrictions? <laughs> well, preventing... I think I, restrictions always distort markets, and I think I'm always in favor of lifting restrictions. But one of the things that we have to make sure of is that there's adequate demand for these properties. Re- lifting restrictions for something that nobody wants is not going to help the property market come back. So I think one of the things that, uh, that, that Evergrande represented was bad corporate governance. And maybe some reform over the property market developers' business models is, is called for. People are very nervous when they hear that I have to prepay for an apartment or a flat, uh, and then I have to wait a certain amount of time for that property to be built, but I've already paid for it. Um, and, and, and what is the company doing with that money? Uh, and that, I think the, the fear of it becoming a Ponzi scheme and companies just running off with my money is something that prevents people from having confidence that they're delivery is going to be there and also that they can resell their properties especially when there's so much surplus being built so so corporate governance is something that i think we need to worry about and reforming the way that the the property market is sold and and, and having some some more regulations on what it is that companies can do with the money that they've collected from the people and maybe a, a, more of the western business model which is to say property developers build the buildings and then sell uh, those existing buildings to uh, new new customers, that would promote a lot of confidence that there it is, I can. Yeah, there's a tech uh, glitch there. Uh, let's turn to uh, Mr. He. Uh, we, we are talking about this, you know, um, say some of the policies taken uh, by uh, southern cities, including Guangzhou. Mr. He, obviously they are in the leading position in terms of introducing new policies and taking first steps uh, to, to help the economy. Uh, they have put forward the, the, the target growth for 2024, uh, 5% this year. Uh, you know, some of China's you know, more indebted regions, probably they are more conservative. Uh, but overall, what about the, the growth target for 2024, the Chinese economy, Mr. He? Uh, I think the, the general target in among the provinces are 5%. And there has been a growing... S- voice among the scholars, experts, calling for 5% for the national target for 2024. It's good if we can really hit it. Because as I said previously, that this year, our growth will be on a high base of 2023, 5.2% already. And 5.2% growth last year was on a low base of 2022, which was only 3%. So it is very difficult because the two-year average is only 4%. So on the basis of 5%, we still want to hit another 5%. That will be very hard. I cannot say that we cannot, we will not hit it. We might hit it unless we should tackle, should the practical issues. First, the weak demand, the excess capacity, uh, capacity is, uh, and also 
uh, the weak ex uh, expectation, and also the property market the troubles and uh, deficit, the fiscal deficit among the local governments, and so on and so forth, especially the export sector difficulties. So we have to shoot these practical problems carefully in order to hit really 5%. We should not set a hard target, 5%. We should make it an anticipated goal instead of a compulsory goal. Then we work hard to try to, to get it. Mm, try to reach that uh, target. Um, uh, well, uh, you know, of course, you know, the, it requires policy support, it requires uh, the new uh, reforms. Uh, Hong Hao, you know, on Thursday, is uh, speaking at a briefing on Thursday, you know, Chinese official from the finance ministry talked about, you know, fisc, uh, fiscal expenditure in 2024 will keep up the necessary intensity. Uh, are we talking about uh, expansionary fiscal policies here? It remains to be seen. Uh, I think many of us were obviously hoping for um, 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 expansionary uh, physical policy and also easing monetary policy as well. Uh, I think in 2023, uh, the budget deficit was like uh, close to 3.8%, but then, you know, 1 trillion of that, you know, is done in the fourth quarter. So some of the uh, leftover budget uh, deficit from last year, you know, bound to be spent in the first quarter this year. And plus, you know, that, you know, after the, the, the twin sessions, there could be more uh, uh, announcement uh, in terms of uh, physical spending. So I think, you know, many of us were hoping, you know, we, we can really spend up uh, in terms of physical policy, you know, because monetary easing has done, uh, you know, has gone a very long way in the sense that last year we, you know, we, 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 we cut uh, the triple um, uh, R a number of times. We have lowered our interest rate. Uh, we have lower uh, many of the uh, uh, the LPR, for example, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, money, monetary uh, easing uh, has gone a long way. But I think it's time for physical uh, to sort of physical policy to, to do its job. So I think, you know, if at this juncture, I think even 3.8 is too low. Like, so I think we can do 5% or even 6% physical uh, deficit uh, so that, you know, we spend our way out of trouble, so, so, so to speak. And I think right now, uh, just now, you know, uh, the other guests uh, mentioned uh, uh, stimulating demand, right? So one of the the hurdles for people to spend money is that, you know, they probably don't have a very steady outlook for their income, right? So, uh, so if people are not spending, if private households are not spending, then it's up to the government to spend up, you know, to sort of, you know, spend our way out of trouble. So I think, you know, we, we're seeing early signs of, you know, uh, physical spending already, uh, uh, starting from uh, last quarter of last year. I, I, you know, we're just hoping that we can do much, much more than that. Right? So to uh, to really stimulate uh, the economic growth going forward. Mm -hmm. uh, well, of course, you know, domestically, and then we have this uh, external uh, environment. Let's say it's still uh, uncertainty, and also with uh, with the conflicts like in Ukraine, in Gaza, in the Red Sea area. That's all. Uh, you know, brings up this uncertainty that that also becoming challenges for many countries. Uh, then the recently, right. the International Monetary Fund uh, have re has released a report uh, actually raising its forecast for global economic growth in 2024 uh, to 3.1%, you know, 0.2 percentage points higher than uh, it, uh, its forecast in October. Uh, William, uh, so why are we having uh, are we having a better uh, prospect for for 2024 globally here? 
Well, we're better than we were in October. I think the IMF is much more optimistic than we were in October because the the, the, the reforms for inflation have really uh, gotten to the point where there's less of a need for monetary restraint. And I think that everyone is anticipating that the West will start to revive its economy as soon as inflation comes down to 2% and we hit our inflation targets. But for China, the most important thing that, that the report noted was that you know, in the past, global growth was, was 3.8 and above. Uh, that that number and and so China has really done a lot to drag down world growth and it says that the fiscal policies that are needed in China are really to change the composition of spending to be much more directed toward income support and wealth support because that's what will allow the Chinese economy to revive strongly and efficiently and I think one of the things that uh, that the IMF hasn't pointed to exactly but I think one of the th Western analysts have noted was that you know defense spending and debt payments and interest payments on the debt are the two fastest rising categories in the budget right now uh, and and I think one of the things that the IMF has talked about is the need to reform fiscal spending to allow much more in the way of private sector support, uh, giving more direct subsidies to income subsidies uh, to the, the, the consumers, which is something that China has really shunned away from, really focused on the demand side, uh, the supply side instead. And also, I think one of the things that, that China can do is put in a social safety net, a safety net that lets people know that if, if all else fails, the government is there to help support my income. If I am elderly and retired, I have income to, to depend on. That will do a lot to stabilize the confidence that people have to go out and spend. Mm -hmm. uh, well, Mr. Her, the IMF, you know, uh, raised also uh, its economic growth uh, forecast for both China and the U.S. to 4.6% and 2.1%, uh, respectively. Uh, what do you make of these uh, forecasts here? I think the IMF is quite optimistic about the U.S. economy because just a few, just one month ago, the World Bank estimated that the U.S. economy will only grow by 1.7% in 2024. Now IMF has revised that. It's expected a much better figure than World Bank because the outlook, world economic outlook released by IMF was on January the 30th after the United States announced its whole year figure for 2023 which is 2.5, pretty good. And the last quarter of 2023, it was 3.3%. So on the optimistic mood on the US, United States, so IMF has a quite relatively optimistic estimate on the US and on China, because also after China released the whole data, the data for the whole year of 2023, which was really 5.2%, about 5%. So IMF also was quite optimistic about China. So on that basis, IMF looked positively on the outspec outlook of the world economic growth for this year, 3.1. So China and United States combined accounted for over 40% of total world GDP. The healthy growth of the two countries will count very heavily on the outlook of the world economy. Well, on that note, we come to the end for today's show. Many thanks to our guests. I'm Xu Qinduo. Thanks for being with us. See you next time.